hotel It's gonna be a great Noel It's the advent calendar house Muffins, black and smurfs And even Garfield's Halloween We're gonna take a trip down memory Welcome to the Advent Calendar House, a salute to all holiday specials, but mostly the Christmas ones. It's time for Christmas in July as this episode drops, and this season is special because it's the 10th season of the podcast, so we are celebrating by spending the month returning to series and characters already covered in seasons past, starting with today's topic... Back in 2018, we spent Christmas with the Joker on Batman the Animated Series. So this year, let's travel back to 1997 for a festive revisit to the new Batman adventures. This is Holiday Nights. I am neither Vengeance nor the Knight, Mike Westfall. And joining me is a man who doesn't need magic organic lipstick to get my undivided attention. It's Andre Bennett. Hey, Andre. No, all, all I need is the void. <laughs> uh, I don't know. If, uh, do, you, do you post a video of this? Nope. Okay, so nobody sees the swirling void behind me. No, it's majestic and beautiful. Yes. And disguised as four unassuming pre-adolescent shoplifters, it's Joey O. Hey, Joey. Oh, Michael. <laughs> oh, wait. I, I do a joker. I don't do a clay face. Oh, Sorry. But thank you both for coming back. Joey, thank you for your patience. You've been waiting a bit for this one. Well, I had one of my my, uh, topics of choice in life is Batman, the animated series. So like we got to do it. I got to come back to this one. Yes. So I don't have a specific memory of watching this the first time. Do y'all? As I watched it, it did look familiar. So I think I did watch it originally. I watched almost all of i mean i watched almost every episode anyway um mm. and i watched most of the new batman adventures episodes although you know at the time i wasn't quite as into them as i was the uh, the first two seasons right yeah i mean i've seen all of them and i actually went back and watched this one a couple of years ago when um i think my wife and i were just picking random christmas stuff I'm like oh yeah holiday nights I haven't seen that in forever so like three years ago maybe we watched it but i mean i've seen every one of these the other thing is that the original i mean we can, we'll get into the difference between batman the animated series and the new batman adventures new batman and robin adventures whatever but one of the differences is is that the original series was on when we were all in high school and those were rerun every afternoon for like a couple of years in a row. And I saw them over and over and over when they were on back to back with Animaniacs. Well, I was in middle school actually. Well, as was I on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was, it was like toward the end of it, I had gotten in high school. So anyway, my point is that these aired when I was in college and I think you guys were just about to be in college or in, in right. senior year, junior or whatever. I think I'm two years older than you. The point is, I didn't see these as many times, but I saw them all. But they ran, I think, on Saturday mornings at this point. Oh, OK. Yeah. Yes, they yes. did. Yeah. And um, this was I didn't realize this until started looking it up and everything. This was the season premiere, as we'll talk about. Was the series premiere technically? Yes, yeah. technically. Yes. Uh, 
I'm not going to call it the series premiere just because for yeah. me, this is basically just season three. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and according to uh, where, who has this streaming HBO Max, according to HBO Max, this is just season three of Batman, the animated series. But to set up that scene, I think we have to briefly go over the history <laughs> of the <laughs> new <laughs> Batman adventures. <laughs> which began two years after the final episode of Batman the Animated Series in 1995. Holiday Nights was the first episode of this new transition, which launched on Saturday morning, September 13th, 1997. You know, for Christmas. But I'm pretty sure I was not watching that morning. It was the Saturday after my first week of my senior year in high school, so I was either sleeping or... You know, it was still early-ish in September that I might have still been working at my summer job where I was a lifeguard at Splash World, the water park at Clementon Park. That was back before we knew that uh, all all the water parks are basically, uh, you know, Petri dishes. And, oh, yeah. You know, you're basically swimming in, in pee. I mean, I knew that because I worked there, but... I can say pee on this podcast, right? You can say pee on this podcast. <laughs> okay, cool. So pee, pee is for podcast. Yes, there's a pee nice. in podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you can't spell podcast yeah, without, without pee. pee. Podcast starts with the letter P. It's like, I'll, I'll, I'll reference this. This is like one of my fondest dumb memories growing up. But my great aunt and uncle at their pool, the pool in their backyard had a sign that said, welcome to our ool. There's no P in it. Let's keep it that way. Keep it that way. Yeah. My, my parents had the same sign. <laughs> Lovely tangent. Uh, anyway, I definitely was not watching the first Saturday morning when the new Batman adventures debuted, but right out of the gate watching this with the mindset of it being essentially a reboot. I felt like this new series was trying rather hard to differentiate itself visually and tonally from the first two seasons. Um, that was actually deliberate. I mean, obviously it was deliberate because, you know, you can't, you can't do something like, like that by accident. Um, but that was really kind of a network dictate. Okay. Well, on which way are we going to talk about the, the tonally or the animation wise, the animation? I mean, tonally. Yeah, that was both actually tonally. It was because yeah, it was the different network. It was on, it was Fox. And I was the WB and there were different mm -hmm. standards and practices. Right. There's some stuff that happens in this one even. But throughout this season, I mean, this is the series that gave us, you know, um, uh, Over the Edge, which is like the darkest episode yeah. of them all. <laughs> yes, it is. Also, visually, they wanted to bring it in line with Superman, the animated series. Right. Yes. Superman, the animated series happened in between. And that had obviously a lighter animation style and also a cheaper animation style because the original yes. yeah. animated series is a very expensive looking program. So, oh, yeah. And they ran these shows as a block called uh, the new Batman Superman Adventures. Yes. But the animation style, what does everyone think of the redesigns? Not so much that, well, we're not going to have the painterly, you know, painted on black art style, but just the designs, because I'm the biggest fan of 90 percent of this. I mean, when it first and and now I actually do remember watching this when it aired, Um but when they first uh, started it or when they first actually announced the, the new designs and when Wizard like uh, previewed them, I was not excited at all. It took uh, it took a while for the whole thing for me to warm up to it. And then obviously it became kind of like between that and Superman, 
that's where kind of that that became sort of the foundation of the rest of the DCAU with uh, Justice League and and such. Batman Beyond. And that mold that yes. beyond. So now watching it now, I don't poo poo it as much. I can say poo, right? <laughs> you can say poo sure. and D. Are poo and okay, ass taken? <laughs> can I say dead ass kings? Uh, um now it's like, sure, I it it it's fine. Um honestly. Even though it was it it was cheaper than the uh, than TAS and it, like animation wise, it's still pretty good. Oh yeah, for, for television, definitely it's um you know it's still still very fluid. Um, the characters are still very distinctive. Um, there are some scenes where Batman looks almost like it recalls David Mazzuchelli, um his work on Year One. Okay. Uh, especially in the um, the toy store. Yeah, it's still good. It still looks fine to me, but I could tell it was different at the time, and I could tell it was a downgrade, and it turns out so did a lot of kids. We'll get to the individual characters that we'll meet. Just some specific touches we noticed, and I think we'll get to those as we yeah. go into it. And if you want to watch this, like I said, it is streaming on HBO Max. You need to go Batman the Animated Series. It's labeled Season 3, Episode 1. You can probably find it elsewhere, but please be careful. You can buy the really nice uh, Blu-ray box set that I own. You could. You could. Which came with its mini Funkos and everything. I also think that they ran this episode first to really kind of introduce mo- like many of the redesigned characters all in one swoop. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. That's just my assumption. Because you have you have Batman, you have the new Robin... You have Batgirl, you've got um, Joker, Harley, either. Clayface and the Joker, Harley and Ivy, got uh, Commissioner Gordon, Bullock, Montoya. So everybody's here and it's like one way to really just kind of rip off the Band-Aid. Yeah, I didn't think of it like that, but that's that's a great theory. I, I think I like that a lot and it makes a lot of sense. So Holiday Nights is unique. Because it has all of these characters and it's split into several vignettes from around Gotham City, which I liked. And part of the reason for that is this episode is based heavily on an existing comic. It's not the last time they do that, nor is yeah. it the last time they'd actually do an anthology episode That's true. this season. Right. So this is adapted from the Batman Adventures holiday special dated January 1995. But you know how comic issue dates work. It came out the month before, so it was on time. I was hoping I owned it. I went the other night and looked through my Batman animated comics that I have from the run, and I don't have many from that era. I have like the next run, I think, and I don't own it. And I looked it up, and you can get it on eBay, and it ain't cheap. Oh, dear. It's like 200 bucks. Oh, my goodness. I feel like most people will know this, will know that issue largely just by the one page that has gone, that goes viral every New Year's. That I post on my Facebook. Oh, every yeah. New Year's. Yep. Yes. Yep. And that scene is here. And, and we'll, we'll get, get to it yes. at the end. Uh, but, that, but that issue was written by Paul Dini, who adapted it into this episode. Can we talk about Paul Dini? Because I'm a huge Paul Dini fan. Let's talk about Paul Dini. We, we, I don't think he's probably never come up on the podcast before, has he? No, we didn't really get into him during our first episode. Yeah, he didn't he didn't write that episode. That's why. Right. <laughs> uh, Paul Dini, for listeners out there, I am a huge fan of he's he's been part of our entire like animation history. Paul Dini got his start working for Filmation 
and yes. worked on a, a Fat Albert, but also <laughs> a lot of He-Man stuff. He wrote Tila's Quest. And he wrote like some of the character bios for the He-Man figures. Actually, I have. So do you remember the, the actual He-Man figures came with like a mini comic book? Oh, yeah. Oh, you do you have the hardcover collection? No, no, those? no. I have my original ones. And oh, I found nice. them years ago. Oh, and nice. do you know who one of the artists was for them? Who? Bruce Tim. Oh, yeah. yeah. One of Bruce Tim's early gigs was drawing the little He-Man comics. So yeah, Paul Dini worked for like a lot of the 80s cartoons. He was like one of my main writers on uh, Ewoks. Oh, uh, his big break mm-hmm. was Tiny Toons. Mm-hmm. And then he rolled from that into Batman animated series. And, you know, he got an Emmy for Tiny Toons. He more Emmys for Batman the animated series. He's written a ton of Batman comics. Uh, I highly recommend uh, he wrote uh, Detective for a long time. That was really good. He's written a lot of other DC related animated projects over the years. He wrote uh, Arkham Asylum. the game. Yeah, he wrote the Arkham Asylum video games. Oh, did he? Yeah. Um, He's just done a lot of stuff, and I've always been a big fan of his work and his tone and his his style. Um, he did side note. There's a there's a book I want to recommend that he wrote, a very personal graphic novel that came out a while back um, mm. about an experience of, uh, happened in his life, and it's called um, I think it's just called a Dar- Dark Night, a Batman story. Hold on, it's right here next to me. Yeah, it's just called Dark Knight with an N. And um, when he was a writer, um, I guess it was during Batman animated series, he was mugged and attacked and beaten. Oh, in his own neighborhood and like left for dead, basically. Wow. And he did. And he sort of like kept the story, you know, amongst his close friends. And years later, he felt comfortable talking about it and how it was, you know, affected his mental health, helped physically, emotionally. And he told this story on Kevin Smith's podcast. and. Uh, got a graphic novel of it too, that he felt comfortable telling this story as years later. So it's his story, but like at the same time, it's told through like the rogues gallery or like his, like on his shoulder, like the devil and the other devil on his shoulder. Like like the Joker's (laughs) like, come on, you just want to like lie in bed and play video games, right? You don't have to go in the outside world. You don't have to, you know, get yourself up there and get your strength back. So it's a really heavy, really powerful read. Um, There's some, I'll, a trigger warning. I want to use that phrase. I guess there's self harm okay. in it as well, mm. but I found it really compelling when I read this book, and I recommend it. Okay, yeah, I'm gonna have to check that out. Plug the works of Paul Dini. I met him once at One Wizard World. The one time we ever came east, my copy of um, Batman Beyond: Return of the Joker is autographed. Oh, nice. That's not a Christmas story at all. No, it's not. <laughs> this is. Uh, and he's kind of streamlined these segments a bit for TV when he wrote it for, for TV with, with this episode. And our story begins on December 22nd with the Harley and the Ivy. Featuring the titular Poison Ivy, voiced by Diane Pershing. I've got a little plan that will make this the happiest holiday ever. I've talked about her on the podcast before. She was in Filmation's A Snow White Christmas as the title character's mother, the original Snow White. You know, Snow White's mother, Snow White. Sort of a cranky Kong situation in that one. (laughs) And here's the first stylistic difference I noticed. Mm -hmm. Ivy looks a lot younger here than in the previous series. Poison Ivy goes from being like a, I mean, you know, the Max Fleischer type painting, like femme face, how May West look to this like, 
elfin very she's very pale though <laughs> yeah she her skin has kind of a hint of green in it too it does mm-hmm. yeah i feel like that actually ended up carrying over to her to every other portrayal of her in every other like multimedia production i think you're right before this point she was always drawn as at least human looking <laughs> but from this point on it was always you know, it seemed like it was more like, you know, she's almost like half plant. Yeah, she had a previously she had a pretty healthy tan. And, and as Joey said, it was like a Tex Avery, like hourglass shape, a woman. <laughs> but here she almost looks like college student age. And I'll mention this is post Uma Thurman's in Batman and Robin by a few months. Yeah, same year. Uh, But this Ivy is spending the days leading up to Christmas hiding out in a very bare bones apartment with Harley Quinn, voiced by Arlene Sorkin. Here it is holiday time and we're hiding out in this dingy rat trap. No presents, no fun, no nothing. Can't we at least get a Christmas tree? What? Haven't talked about her yet. Friends, what else do you know Arlene Sorkin from? Oh, you know it's America's Funniest funniest People people with Dave Coulier. Yes. So... From 1990 to 92, Arlene Sorkin was the co-host of America's Funniest People with Dave Goulier. But she was uh, more influentially on Days of Our Lives. Or was it? A, I thought it was Another World. Maybe it was Another World. It was one of those soap operas. In one episode, there was a dream sequence where she appeared, where her character appeared as a jester. And um, the episode was viewed by a friend of hers named Paul Dini, oh. who would go on to base Harley Quinn on her. Yes. Days of our lives. And yes, that is that is the origin story. Okay. Huh. Uh, that's why um Arlene Sorkin was cast as Harley because Paul connected her with the character from the start. And that's where he got the idea. And yes, Paul Dini and Bruce Tim co-created Harley Quinn and whatever amount of money they've earned over the years from that. It's oh not enough. No. <laughs> so that's, so that's how uh, they turned uh, Arlene Sorkin into Harleen Quinzel. Yes. Pretty close. Did you as a kid know that she was the voice of Harley? I did not. Yes, I did because I, tried to pay attention to the, even though the credits would always run like really fast yeah it was always too fast yeah. for me but then when i caught it it was much later in life and was like wait a minute yeah and also i was reading wizard too so well yeah there it is yeah uh, so um arlene sorkin basically retired years and years ago do you know who she's married to without looking up and why I don't actually. Oh, I know because I looked it up. I'd be remiss if I didn't quickly mention her spouse, Christopher Lloyd. Not happy back to the future today. (laughs) Unhappy back to the future today. Oh, really? That's awesome. Oh, it's not him. It's not him. Oh, wait. It's the other Christopher Lloyd. Oh, the creator of just the co-creator of Just Shoot Me. The guy who was the producer on Frasier and Modern Family. Are you kidding me? Yeah, the other Christopher Lloyd. Yeah, the sitcom producer. He also, yep. I think he co-created Just Shoot Me with Stephen Levitan. Yeah. Wow. So that she doesn't need to work because her husband, you know, is an incredibly successful sitcom producer. Yeah. But yeah, no, not that Christopher Lloyd. Unhappy Back to the Future Day. Boo. <laughs> so you get for not thinking fourth dimensionally. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, he wasn't co- he wasn't on uh, Just Shoot Me, but. He did co-create with Levitan Modern Family. Yeah. 
So yeah, okay. Uh, they're 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 made for like life. Yeah. He also holds the record for primetime Emmy awards as either a comedy or drama series producer. Believe it. Well, while we're talking about before we've even really dug much into the plot, while we're talking about Harley and Ivy, let's also note again, tying to Paul Dini, Paul Dini, because he co-created Harley, he wrote all of the Harley episodes and Harley and Ivy. The episode is the one that sort of introduces the two of them in such a like, again, like this is Paul's like style of humor. He's put into his, his writing over there, sort of like cheesecake, wink, winky, like, oh, they're look here. They are hanging out in their underwear and like men's dress shirts wink wink and it went from like (laughs) him trying to get away with like being naughty on a kid's cartoon to being like from what i know of the hbo show that's sort of like the through line of that series now is that like harley and ivy are a couple and it went from him like trying to like see what could you know be cutesy and get away with 30 years ago i mean Mm -hmm. like well yeah harley's a bisexual character she's queer and everyone knows it right and it's just like incredible how that's you know changed over the years well, yeah, it, it it definitely it definitely started there. Yeah. So it's still in that mode in this series, like in yeah. this episode, too. Again, they're like hanging out and Harley's like in her underwear or something, hanging out with Ivy because that's what they do. Yeah. Well, I, they're like flatmates. And Harley also looks way younger here than her previous episodes. But they didn't really redesign her much. No. Yeah. Harley was the character who looked closest to the original version. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it might be partly because the original animated series had sort of an art deco aesthetic and all the characters had sort of an old Hollywood look to them. You ever look at a photo from any time before we were born of a man in his 30s, but he looks way older than his 30s? Yeah, uh, my fiance just a little while ago showed me a picture of the Big Bopper. (laughs) Yep. Great example. (laughs) How old was he again? Yeah, (laughs) he was 29 when he died. Oh, my God. He looked like he was 50. Oh, goodness. He said it with like baseball players with mustaches from the 80s. <laughs> the entire wild bunch. Jack Morris. You know? Jack Morris. Oh, God. I'm 27. Burt Blylevin. <laughs> so I thought maybe that's what's happening here. Or maybe maybe it's because Harley's not wearing clown makeup in this particular scene. Or pants. But... She's starting to feel depressed having to be holed up in her dingy apartment and makes this grave mistake of asking Poison Ivy if they could at least get a Christmas tree. What, and support the mad campaign of botanical genocide that grips this country every December? Well, of course, it's going to be a non-starter with Ivy. No. He read. (laughs) But, But Ivy reassures her roommate she has a plan to make this the happiest holiday ever. And we cut to a high-class party at the mansion of Gotham City socialite Veronica Vreeland. So tell me, Bruce, what does Gotham's most eligible bachelor have planned for the holidays? Skiing in the Alps? Sunning in the Bahamas? And more importantly, who's he taking? Actually, I was planning on a quiet Christmas alone, Veronica. Really? I wouldn't tell them that. Voiced by Mary Lou Henner, it's Elaine from Taxi. Yes. There's the other Christopher Lloyd connection. <laughs> yes. Well, that 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 legit. Here we go. It's Scott. Or uh, Bert, and Evening Bert, Shade. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, or Burt yes. Reynolds' wife in Evening Shade, if you prefer. Uh, uh, she's chatting it up with Bruce Wayne. And I don't think we really talked about the voices when we were doing Christmas with the Joker, Joey, beyond Mark Hamill. 
Well, we talked about the Joker because I know I told the the whole Tim Curry, Mark Hamill story yes. in that one. But did we not really give enough love to Kevin Conroy first time around? Because no, I don't think we gave any love to Kevin Conroy. Now well, it's we too have late now. to. <laughs> yeah, we have to pay tribute to the late Kevin Conroy. Oh my gosh, Kevin Conroy! You could have given him his flowers then. You <laughs> <He laughs> could have. <laughs> Uh, oh man, Kevin Conroy is such a loss that, that he's he's the bat he's the best Batman. Everyone knows it. This is the Batman. Absolutely, like, there's, really is. There's wasn't there an episode where he says like he calls himself like Batman in his head like that's not I don't call myself Bruce. There's something like that. There's yeah. an episode where yeah. he says I'm that guy. But that's that's the Batman you hear yeah. in your head when you read a comic. You oh yeah, Kevin Conroy oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. always. Well, and he played him longer than anybody else. Yeah, he's the definitive Batman. Yeah. Absolutely, he nailed him. There's so much he adds to those to the the acting, especially like in these later episodes, he sort of like flattens out the Bruce Wayne of it all. Like his Bruce Wayne and, and Batman aren't as as distinct in a lot of these like later episodes. But in the, right. the original series, in the, the Batman animated, the Batman, the animated series, and obviously in Mask of the Phantasm, just his Bruce Wayne and just how he can change it up. And there's just that level of like empathy and emotion that he can bring to the role. He brings to the the performance, especially on the Bruce side of things. And there's like he just doesn't stay in that like angry, gravelly Batman voice all the time that everyone else wants no. to do. But uh, <laughs> like there's just levels to it that he brings. And there's the whole scene. Oh my gosh, the scene in Mask of the Phantasm, the uh the the gravesite scene. Oh my god. Oh, yes. Yeah, no, that that was amazing. It's still devastating, you know, 30 years later. Oh, yeah. And just such an incredible performer and such a, a, you know, beloved human being. And he did so much work for charity. He told that you can find that story online. He's told it a billion times at like every Comic-Con about like when he was volunteering. Oh, the 9-11 story? At 9-11. The 9-11. Yeah. If you, I'll tell the story now, but um, that he was a volunteer um, like in a soup kitchen or whatever after 9-11. No, it was a firehouse, a firehouse. actually. Oh, okay. Yes. And um Somebody like he was just, you know, another guy like ladling out food and somebody like recognized his voice like, hey, we got the Batman over here. <laughs> and he was just, you know, trying to go about and do his thing and be a, you know, a citizen of New York and just a really, you know, he loved the fans like and everyone, you know, Andre joked like, oh, no, we didn't give him his flowers. Like he knew he knew how much he meant to everybody and how much, you know. Oh, yeah. How much his performance. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't remember this until the day he died. And Twitter reminded me, I watched Kevin Conroy in a show before Batman. Have you ever watched Tour of Duty? Nope. Uh, yeah, I've I've caught like a couple episodes, but I did also never made the connection. Yeah, it was a late 80s show about a platoon in Vietnam. My brother and I watched it a lot. Uh, this show was totally riding the platoon wave and Kevin Conroy was the captain of the company in this show. I, I watched China beach. Back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was my Vietnam show. Choice. No. I mean, he was, he was a um, theater actor, but he was somebody who, yeah. yeah, he was a guy who was in like one episode of this. Look, you're looking at IMD one episode of Murphy Brown, two episodes of cheers. Yep. One episode of Spencer for hire. Spencer oh, for hire. I I have actually been on a Spencer binge ever since so, uh they dropped it on Tubi. Oh, he was on Another World, Andre. Hey. Okay, yeah. Speaking of Another World, he was literally there was a sci-fi pilot that he did oh. that he starred in that 
I feel like had it been picked up, he never would have gotten. He never would have done Batman. Oh wow! And I'm glad it. Ha- I'm glad it didn't get picked. Yeah, up. glad that didn't take off. Yeah, I can't remember. I I watched like it was after he died. I found it, and it was called Island City. Island City. Yeah, with him and Brenda Strong, <laughs> aka oh, Sue Ellen wow. Mischke, <laughs> the Brawless Wonder, <laughs> and uh, Eric McCormick. Huh. Funny, funny thing about Kevin Conroy. So he all he went to Juilliard, mm-hmm. right? His roommate was Robin Williams. Really? Yep. Whose best friend at Juilliard was Christopher Reeve. Yep. Huh. So Batman knew Superman back in the day. Also, so Christopher Reeve was in the film version of the of the stage play Death Trap. Kevin Conroy uh, was actually in a production of Death Trap on stage. Whoa. Yeah, he was on the national tour. Huh. Yes. So it was destiny. So he had been around. I mean, the rest of the cast of Batman the Animated Series, as we know, was a lot of different you know, character actors and noted people like, like you know, we mentioned Mark Hamill and yes. you know, Richard Maul, um, Paul Williams and so on. But Kevin Conroy was just a, you know, working stiff actor that read for the part. And Andrea Romano was like, that's and the guy. That's our Batman. That's our Batman. And had a lot of uh, had a lot of pain that he harnessed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, go back and find the uh, the comic Finding that Batman. he wrote for um, for DC a couple of years ago about um he was he was also an out gay actor as well and mm-hmm. he talked a lot about he wrote a comic about being, you know, in the theater in the 80s when all his friends were dying of AIDS. Yeah. And he lived through that. Yeah, I believe it was in the so. first DC Pride special. Um DC yeah. posted that for free when he died. Um I would recommend finding the book, but you could also probably find that story online pretty easily. It's it's a beautiful, it's a beautifully written, very, very heartbreaking story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not hard to find either way. Absolutely recommend it. And he doesn't get to show a lot of his Bruce Wayne side of this episode for reasons we'll get to in a minute. But for now, Bruce is at this Christmas party and oops, he's standing under mistletoe and a bunch of ladies run toward him. And one of them is absolutely voiced by Tress McNeil. <laughs> Brucey! You're standing under the mistletoe. Just, oh, Brucey! <laughs> She's credited as little boy in IMDb. Yeah. Well, yeah, because in that, actually, I was looking at the credits for the episode. Um, and yeah, she's yeah. credited there as just little boy. Well, she's yeah. probably also like it's an additional voice. <laughs> yeah, she's doing double duty later. But this first one, I'm like, like that's Tress McNeil. Uh, and he backs away slowly right into a shadowy figure that gives him a big smooch. He's stunned, but I guess he doesn't see who it is because he doesn't do anything. But we know it's Ivy. We cut to Bruce walking out at the end of the party and Ivy calls to him from a limo parked outside. May we give you a ride, Mr. Wayne? He politely declines, but then starts walking backward toward the limo against his will. Because as Harley explains, Ivy kissed Bruce with her some kind of toxic lipstick, which allows Ivy to control him. And if that plot sounds familiar, it's because a few months prior to this episode, Uma Thurman basically did the same thing in Batman and Robin. (laughs) It's pretty standard for Ivy. So, yeah. 
But interestingly here, it looks like Bruce is consciously aware of what's going on, but just physically unable to do anything. So that's an interesting twist. Yeah, he just can't do anything about it. I think it's because Bruce is such a strong will. Mm. Like, because he's got the mind of Batman. Yes. Or it's not complete mind control, maybe. Well, the limo driver, because the limo driver's been kissed as well, and he looks just zombied out. So you're right. It must. Bruce might just be strong will. Well, no, strong minded enough that he's aware up here of what's going on and just can't do anything about it physically. Just not the part of the brain that tells the body to do things. I don't know. But this limo driver drops them off for a shopping spree at Bergdorf's, Gotham City's answer to the real life Bergdorf's in Manhattan. Yeah, Bergdorf Goodman is the name of the store and its founder. It's a luxury department store on Fifth Avenue. So Bergdorf's is exactly the sort of place you'd want to go if you had control of Bruce Wayne's bank account. And what follows is the silliest montage of Harley and Ivy trying on different outfits to a synth jazz instrumental version of the 12 Days of Christmas. <laughs> I love this. It's so ridiculous. It, it's a tonally it's totally far away from like 90 percent of everything else that fits into Batman the Animated Series, but that's fine. It's clearly a silly Christmas episode with a silly plot, and it's just fun. Favorite part of this uh, montage? (laughs) Um, I don't know. Harley and her uh, baggy uh, um, uh, overalls (laughs) outfit. Andre, do you have a favorite part? I I really don't. I'm sorry. I, okay. It was it was like really silly. Mine is Harley with the perfume bottle spraying a bunch in her face and then under her arms oh. for good measure. Like the fresh prince getting caught with the spray can. By the way, I have in my notes in this section is that if you notice, uh this is why like Bruce has some control because you see he's mad. He's like, I gotta keep signing all these credit card receipts. He signs them all Bruce. Like he yes. just writes Bruce every time. They know who he is. <laughs> yeah. I don't care how rich you are. I don't think that counts. So his money's fine. But Joey, you sent me a tweet by Paul Dini about this montage. Did I? Yeah. uh, He shared a cell and it's Harley and Ivy in the 70s disco berets (laughs) pointing and smiling at each other. And he said it was one of his favorite cells of all time. (laughs) And uh, it is now part of the cover art of this episode. Not Christmassy looking at all (laughs) if you don't know the context, but it works for me. And then Harley passes a big Christmas tree and begs Ivy, please. But she drags her along saying no. So. So, yeah. So we talked about how Poison Ivy obviously was not a fan of the Christmas tree idea. No. Um, but something my fiance noted earlier while we were while we were watching the episode was that uh, despite, you know, being uh, totally, um, you know, vehemently, you know, pro plant. She apparently has nothing against fur. No, no, she doesn't. Yeah, she was wearing all the furs. <laughs> yes, those animals deserved it. As far as Ivy's concerned, yep. <laughs> she's like, "Yes, they deserve to die. They eat plants." <laughs> yes, she's like, "See my vest. See my vest." <laughs> There's no better than authentic Irish setter, apparently. <laughs> Apparent not for Ivy. No one has ever compared C. Montgomery Burns to Pamela Isley until now. 
until now. This is what you come here for. <laughs> and they get to the top floor of Bergdorf's, and it seems like the lipstick toxin is wearing off. So Ivy hands Harley her lipstick and tells her to give him another shot. And Bruce nervously backs up into an outer order elevator shaft and seemingly falls to his doom. End of episode. Merry Christmas. Yep, that's the end. (laughs) Harley and Ivy just shrug it off, admitting, Oh, well, we were going to do it anyway. We got his credit cards. What's to worry? They leave in their limo. I guess that guy's lipstick didn't wear off yet. He's not as strong willed as Bruce Wayne. He's not. Yeah, we can't all be Batman. Yeah. Uh, Well, Harley did accidentally knock out the limo driver when she opened the door. So I guess he was on the ground this whole time until they got back out. But Ivy asks where to next and Harley replies. Any place is fine by me as long as it's away from that guy. Pointing out the back of the window and Batman swinging toward them. And here is where I remembered, oh, yeah, they didn't know that was Bruce Wayne. They still think Bruce is dead. This is just a coincidence. Well, it's like they've they've been like they've had so many run ins with Batman where he just shows up when they're doing stuff that they just figure. Yeah, sure. It's just like, oh, of course, Batman's here. Yeah, exactly. Someone tripped the alarm. So Ivy takes the wheel and crashes the limo into the entrance of the Wacko Toy Store. Mm-hmm. Why is the entrance to a toy store in Gotham City adorned with a giant clown with X'd out dead eyes? Well, do you know Wacko Toys? Tell me about Wacko Toys. That's the company in the Riddler's Reform episode. Oh, yeah. I know it's a style thing for this specific show set in this specific universe in which the Joker exists. But yeah, that's why someone would make a clown that appears to be either drunk or dead. The mascot of your storefront. So Batman starts searching the toy store with his bat flashlight, which works just like a regular flashlight, except that Batman's holding it. You know, like how Air Force One is whatever plane the current president happens to be in. (laughs) So the ladies start throwing giant wooden soldier decorations down at Batman from a high stack of decorative wrapped boxes. Bats climbs up this tower of toys only for Ivy to punch him in the face with a giant boxing glove. And going back to what I said about uh, the David Mazzuccelli influence, that's where I kind of saw it most in this sequence because a lot of it, Batman's in monochrome because it's like... And it's in a dark space. Right. They got rid of the yellow circle in this version of him. Yes, they did. So, yeah, Batman gets in the face with a giant boxing glove, sending him falling off the tower. He grabs a platform on it, like maybe halfway down. And it looks like this tower is maybe 50 feet minimum. And Batman being able to grab it on the way down after being punched is a very impressive move, even for a cartoon character. But he's Batman. But he's Batman. Yeah. Uh, Harley's on the exact level of the tower and hits him with a giant mallet, sending him falling the rest of the way down into what looks like a pile of toys and wrapped boxes with some sharp corners. So I don't think that felt great. No. But he manages to get up in enough time to shoot his grappling hook at a nearby giant Christmas tree, sending it falling right onto Harley and Ivy. And that's enough to stop them both. And that's the end of the segment. 
She gets her tree, though. She got her tree. Well, here's your stupid tree. You happy? Yeah. Batman just got punched in the face and hit in the head, both of which send him falling at least 10 feet after each and probably more. But all it takes to stop these two is knocking a tree onto them. They're tiny. We talked about how tiny Poison Ivy is. They are tiny. (laughs) Yes, they're like 18 each. Well, that concludes short film about Gotham City number one. (laughs) Now the other 21 short films. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) We've been talking a lot already for like eight minutes of a cartoon. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and here comes my biggest complaint about this episode as a whole. That was too short. (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty short. Yeah. It could have been a lot more fun with a bit more time given to Harley and Ivy toying with Bruce instead of cramming it into a montage. But by all means, keep the montage, but drag it out a bit. Take him to the bank or something. I don't know. Yeah, I think it was fine. Yeah. But that clocked in at just under eight minutes. And that's the longest part of this episode. Mm -hmm. We'll be right back. Hello. Gotham Corner Store. Yes. We seem to be down to our last diet cook. A gentleman is on his way to pick some up. Just look for a black car. No, this black car will be rather difficult to miss. And by the way, the gentleman is usually in quite a rush. Just for the taste of it, diet cook. Hi, I'm Bob. And I'm Mark. And we are the Festive Foreign Film Fans. Try saying that three times fast. I know. We read your minds. Among all those angry hosts and shows with people doing bad things to each other. Plus the many Tis the Cozy Total Christmas in the 80s podcast you were thinking. You know, the world needs another Christmas podcast. And why not? All those murderers, they get so many popular shows. But what about Christmas? It never killed anyone. So join us on the 6th and the 25th of each month as we explore our shared humanity and the movies and music of different countries through a common holiday that we all share. And we may offer some relationship advice or even solve a crime or two. Wow. Festive foreign film fans coming in June to a podcast channel near you. Now back to our program. So that brings us to Christmas Eve now in a segment, the holiday special comic called Jolly Old St. Nicholas, as we pan over a sort of Rockefeller Center style ice skating rink outside of the Mayfields department store, where we find Barbara Gordon shopping for a necktie for her dad, because what else do you get the commissioner who has everything? A new daughter, apparently, because they cast <laughs> Melissa Gilbert. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's perfect. Dad will love it. I'm, I'm sure you've talked about Tara Strong on this podcast. Oh, absolutely. We've talked about Tara Strong. Yes. Uh, well, she's still Tara Cherendoff here. She wasn't married yet. Yes. Uh, replaced Melissa Gilbert. This is her first time as the voice of Barbara Gordon. Mm-hmm. Uh, last time I talked about Tara Strong was as Twilight Sparkle on My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. Uh-huh. That's right. Speaking of holiday specials that aired as far away from December as possible, that one was in May. And she picks the plainest, most boring tie on this rack, Barbara does. Stripes are hard to animate. I don't know. I, I don't really think that uh, Commissioner Gordon, I don't think he'd really be all for like a loud tie anyway. He's a very, you know, 
Yeah. He, he wants to tie you can set your watch to. he's kind of a wears the same outfit every episode type of cartoon character yeah they all are get him the johnny unitas of ties (laughs) (laughs) or whoever whoever the quarterback was for the gotham uh, knights yes (laughs) so barbara's tie shopping when we hear the very loud wail of a crying child from the other end of the store which the clerk tells Barbara and us that's been happening all day as they meet Santa. Why are all these children crying about Santa? Because it's the worst possible Santa. It's the worst possible Santa. It's actually Detective Bullock on a stakeout for a cereal shoplifter. Yeah, you big fry baby. Next. Uh, Bullock is voiced by Robert Costanzo. I talked about him on that Beverly Hills 90210 episode where he was the voice of Clarence the Angel. Did he have the the Bullock voice on that one? He had the Bullock voice and all you could see because it's like they're doing the It's a Wonderful thing with the stars. You only hear his voice through this whole episode. And uh, that's a crazy one. Go listen to that later if you haven't. At least uh, he had Montoya as his elf there. Yes, Montoya's here. You know, you could be a little more jolly, St. Nick. Give me a break, Montoya. This is the lamest stakeout I've ever been on. Voiced by Leanne Shermer, who's best known for this. Hey, Renee, um, uh, you're working with kids. Put some pants on. <laughs> yeah. Montoya's not wearing tights. A very short elf dress, like a Tinkerbell dress with sleeves and a collar. Yeah. She's got a little Robin Hood hat because close enough. Was she the original? Was somebody else Montoya in the original series? I feel like I'll look it up. Yep. Different actress. Oh, really? Ingrid Aloya, who is apparently in everything. If you needed a Hispanic woman to appear. Yeah, I know her. Huh? Leanne Shermer has been doing Montoya for a long, long time, so I don't know why they made that switch. I don't know. She, she's listed as her in seven episodes of Batman Animated Series and also in episodes of Hunter, and she was in the Stand and Deliver and so on. She's here. None of these kids like grumpy Santa Bullock, but he's not my problem. My problem is the parents of all of these children. First off. You only see kids in line, which has got to be fun. But more importantly, who waits until Christmas Eve to take their kid to see Santa? Uh, Bad parents. The caption of this segment begins with December 24th. He's already in the air. (laughs) That's true. Well, technically, he's not in the air until around midnight. Well, right. But it's like, I mean, you've seen Santa Claus the movie. So (laughs) time will follow you. (laughs) That's pretty good. That's it. That's it. Penguin's not in this episode. Um, (laughs) uh, But no, Norad starts tracking Santa at 4 a.m. Eastern time. And the skyline was red in Gotham City, which is on the East Coast. Remember, it's in New Jersey. It's in Cumberland County. We've discussed this. Skyline is always red in Gotham City. That's true. I've never seen it. Uh, Yeah, that's one of the the design changes. (laughs) Yes. Or Andre's background. Yes, I'm actually apparently you found you found (laughs) me. I'm in Gotham City. (laughs) There it is. But actual Santa has been in the air for at least 12 hours. What are you doing bringing your kid to see him late in the afternoon the day before Christmas? But well, it's you're going to get what you pay. You pay for it's Bullock. 
Yes. He continues meeting kids, gives one cash after she asks him to bring her father home for Christmas, and Bullock realizes, oops, I put this girl's dad in prison three months ago. And while all that's going on, we see a group of four boys with mischievous looks on their faces sneaking over to the other side of the store and start going yoink to a necklace left unwatched. But Barbara spots one of them and tries to grab him by the arm and yanks the kid's arm right off. <laughs> and it's at that point where you kind of figure out exactly who the bad guy is here. Yes. Yeah. And it's not Vincent Adult Man. <laughs> Uh, that would be funny though if it was just like four kids in a trench coat. Know, in a trench coat. You know. <laughs> I can't believe we fell for Muppet Man. <laughs> <laughs> they they don't do the reveal yet. They go they cut back to a kid on Bullock's lap first. We don't linger at all in this sudden juvenile body horror we've witnessed. <laughs> you either know what's happening or you're horrified. Thankfully, I was in the first camp, but Montoya now gets a call, a report on a radio that uh, four juvenile suspects have been spotted. So she wakes up Bullock, who is now passed out with a child on his lap, and he just gets up and starts running toward the reported sighting, knocking this kid off his lap. Also, in addition to falling asleep, Bullock now has yellow stains of some sort on his Santa suit. What's happening here? They weren't there before. Does Bullock drool yellow? He's just a slob in every way. He's gross. Uh, it's probably supposed to be mustard. It's always mustard. Mustard. Yeah. Yeah. Now we've got a chase scene and four of these kids running around the department store stealing stuff until all four of them are cornered in one spot and they all morph back together into the real culprit. It's Clayface. Of course. Good old Matt Hagen. Ho, ho, ho. And who the heck is the voice of Clayface? It's Heckboy himself, Ron Perlman. We can't. I thought we could say hell. <laughs> I, I did earlier. Yeah, it's fine. Yes, yes. it's Ron Perlman. Um, the Beast. Yeah. Yes. Who is uh, showing up in the next episode of Poker Face, I think. Well, that's already aired by now. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. By now, actually. Uh, by uh, July. By this point. Uh, yeah, by July, the whole season will have will have uh, will have long been available on uh, on Peacock. Great show, by the way. If you haven't watched it, go watch it. Uh, Ron Perlman, um, such a such a distinguished uh, distinguishable voice that for some reason I didn't catch was him. <laughs> no, I think the- I think Clayface might be his first uh, voice acting gig. Really? I think so. One of them. I mean, also Clayface is, I mean, from the original episodes, the original Clayface episodes are so great. And in this, you can tell this is a redesign where it's the same design. It's just kind of simplified. Yeah. Like he doesn't move in in the way that he moved in the, you know, the original episodes, the animation of him. He was the original Clayface. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. He was in a Prince Valiant cartoon before Batman, the animated series. Oh, that's right. Where did you see that? Uh, scrolling down IMDb one credit yeah. below. Um, uh, cause I'm looking at, uh, Wikipedia and I don't see Prince Valiant on there. There was a Prince Valiant cartoon that aired with Robbie Benson, the beast, yes, the beast. <laughs> I, I, rem- I remember that cartoon. He used to come on the family channel. Oh, this is quite a, quite a cast. It's got Alan Oppenheimer, Efren Zimbalist oh, yeah. Jr., Alfred, James Avery, Tim Curry. Wow. There he is. Neil Ross. Anyway, 
Yeah, the the transformation of four young kids into Clayface is probably horrifying in real life, but not as bad as the fact that before the transformation even starts, Montoya and Bullock have their guns out. So they're just, they're just going to shoot these kids. Yeah, they're children who got caught shoplifting. What are y'all doing? Bullock's not a good cop. I mean, they're they're, they're cops. But Montoya's not a bad one. Usually, they're cops. <laughs> Do Gotham cops just make it a practice to have their weapons at the ready because a child might be a supervillain? Yeah. Ag cab. <laughs> All Gotham cops. <laughs> Ag cab. <laughs> oh, Lord. Um, <laughs> is it in Is it in a, a Dark Knight Returns that Montoya's in it and she's crooked? That sounds right. In the, um, the third Nolan movie. Oh, Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight Rises, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, in the comics, she went on. She was um, the question. She was the question after she was framed oh. for murder. Yeah. But then when they rebooted everything, uh, that went out the window. And now she's apparently uh, the commissioner. Oh. oh, well, all right. Now that Jim Gordon is retired and hunting down the Joker in his book. I don't read any DC books anymore because of things like that. (laughs) But yeah, she's got her gun at the ready just in case any child might be a supervillain. They were right this time. But Gotham's kind of a big place. It's not their fault. We only get to see the freaks. But Clayface, there's a good reason Montoya looks stunned here. And it's because in the last episode featuring Clayface, it sure looked like he dissolved in the ocean and died. But I guess not. Yeah, I was I was reading in the research. This is that people just assume that this episode aired before there's another episode. There's a Clayface episode in this season. And you just have to assume that the Christmas episode takes place after uh, an episode that you haven't seen yet. If you're watching these in order. Yeah. OK. Like what South Park tried to do with Kenny this same year. No one's ever compared Kenny to Clayface before <laughs> until now. <laughs> And in his first appearance back in Gotham City, he's shoplifting in disguise as several children. Solid plan. Why not? You bastard. <laughs> so he starts. They kind of dress like those kids, too. So he starts <laughs> trashing the store as Barbara runs off to find a place to change into Batgirl. And I think nothing of this, but the Batman, the animated series wiki decided it was really important to call this the first Batman episode to feature nudity. (laughs) I wouldn't call it that. Uh, Let me throw some much needed water on this. She's behind a shelf and you can see her shoulder and the absence of a bra strap. Calm down. Clayface is nude. Clayface is nude. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> but he's been nude the whole time. This isn't his first. Yeah. Batman, the animated series wiki. Don't think about it. Uh, so Clayface spits part of himself on the cop's guns. Don't think about it. It's Clayface. He's showing off his shape-shifting talents by shaping his head into Bullock's and then Montoya's with a bright green elf hat. How does Clayface make colors? Clayface, don't think about it. Don't think about it. Usually he's boring brown, but he can control his pigments. Yeah. I never realized that until right here. He's got a great he's an actor. He's got a great imagination. That's it. And while he's doing that, Batgirl drop kicks him from behind and out a glass window 
onto the ice skating rink below, which the water underneath looks a lot deeper than it's supposed to be for an artificial ice rink. I thought that too, actually. Like, it goes above their ankles, but there's Clayface half a giant leg deep in it. Bullock and Montoya meet them outside and start shooting, but the bullets go right through them and thankfully don't hit Batgirl, I guess. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, Bullock probably doesn't care. He doesn't. No, you're right. But Batgirl is thankfully smart enough to suggest that the officers don't aim for him. Aim at the Santa decoration above him that's hanging from a string of Christmas lights. So they do. And the string of lights comes loose and drops into the puddle where they fell that Clayface is still standing in. So he gets zapped and knocked unconscious. Oh, yeah, because that's how you be Clayface. That's right. And Bullock's ready to call it a day and go get a cup of Joe. But not so fast, Montoya tells him. They still have to collect the evidence. So she tells Bullock to roll up his sleeves, implying that the stolen merchandise is still inside Clayface. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I would I would want to, you know, not be a cop. You know, if I had to, like, you know, after at that point, if I had to stick my hand inside like a giant clay monster. Yeah, does Gotham not have a department for that? But, <laughs> but that's the end of part two. It's Gotham. They like have the worst police force. It, yes, they do. As seen here. They can't afford CSI. No, they can't. <laughs> they got to call in that guy from Central City. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he was busy. Uh, But that brings us to part three, set on December 31st, entitled, What Are You Doing New Year's Eve? And the answer is, watching football, apparently. And before we get to the rude interruption, can we talk about how even the TV set looks like it's an Art Deco building? The TVs are different. This is another animation change. I I didn't realize myself when I was reading. I'm like, oh, yeah. In the original Batman animated episodes, the TVs are always in black and white. And in this, they aren't. No. True. It's one of the like nebulous time period things, how there's like the futurist, there's virtual reality, but there's Zeppelins and all the TVs are black and white, but there's killer robots. Yes. But in this, they made the TVs color. Yep. It's the TV in Commissioner Gordon's office, and it looks like a jukebox at a 50s diner, which again, Gotham's in New Jersey, but... The airwaves are hijacked by a whistleblowing Joker in a referee outfit. And oh, my goodness, what has happened to the Joker's eyes? <laughs> yeah, not a fan of this redesign. I, I, I'm still not, actually. Yeah. I much prefer the original. Oh, yeah. But in this, his eyeballs are completely black with a white pupil. They're like they're photo negatives. His whole face, his whole look is streamlined but too much and it's less detailed compared to the animated series i give them credit for wanting to try something different but it personally didn't work for me no i don't hate it though it's just striking it is very very much that this is the most obvious change in style between the two series this is one where it's just like oh that's a budget cut some of the other uh, redesigns, though, I'm not a fan of the Riddler one. They they put him towards the uh, the Frank Gorshin or the Jim Carrey unitard yes. look and yep. made him bald. Uh, I don't like they they didn't write any. There's no Riddler episodes. He just pops up in a few episodes. The Bane redesign was 
awful. Oh goodness, yeah. yes. Um, Catwoman is also very. She's very pale as well. Not a big fan uh-huh. of that redesign. And no. very tiny. Um, Bane is less luchador and more like uh, on the gimp mask side of the Bane. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Uh, the one that everyone likes, though, is Scarecrow, who they made much scarier. Yeah, Scarecrow was a good one. Yeah. He's l- lankier and more pumpkin-y. I'll, I'll agree with that. Oh, and Penguin, they made him look more like a human being and less like uh, Danny DeVito Penguin, which they were supposed to at the time because it was supposed to technically right. be in the same continuity, sort yeah. of, kind of. Kind of. Well, so... Even though, like, the design looks a little more simplistic and cartoonish, Joker's MO in the series, uh, especially, you know, as, as, uh, as, you know, typified in this episode, it's basically um, much darker than the original series. Yes. Like, Joker was always, like, you know, was never one to shy from killing. But this Joker off the bat's a mass murderer or an attempted mass murderer. Yeah, like before, it's just like, I'm going to derail this train. I'm going to copyright this fish. <laughs> <laughs> there are bat, the, the last season here has, has actually has two Batman uh, the Joker episodes I love, one of which is Joker's Millions, yes. which is the he has to spend all the money. And it has it has one of my favorite uh, my friend Harry oh, always the, referenced the IRS one. Holly. Oh. Hey, Mr. G. <laughs> <laughs> and it also um actually the very last episode is the adaptation of mad love oh yeah. yes. yes that's the last episode that's what it says here the very last episode that that they produced actually no wait it says oh uh air, it aired last it wasn't produced last but it was the last episode that aired was mad love oh okay all right good enough for me Still Mark Hamill, still my favorite. Starting tonight at midnight, I, your loving Uncle Joker, do solemnly vow not to kill anyone for a whole year. Which means I'm going to have to work extra fast to bump off a few more of you today. (laughs) I had to check to see if this was the first time we've seen this art style, because I know the Joker showed up in the Superman series, but that was after this. No, that was actually season two of Superman. Okay. So this is the debut of Black-Eyed Joker. <laughs> Here he's interrupted a game to let the city know about his New Year's resolution to not kill anyone for a whole calendar year. But it's still New Year's Eve, so he's threatening to bump off as many people as he can before midnight. Yeah, uh, speaking of the chronology, as to my memory, this uh, this season coincided with season two of superman so later that year we got the world's finest crossover right right yes. so this this came a bit before that yes it was close it was the first time we saw that joker yeah and that's the tape the commissioner is playing back for batman and robin but this is a much younger robin than we've seen before because it's the animated debut of tim drake no explanation, though. Just everybody look, tiny Robin. Yeah, because the next episode is going to be the origin of Tim Drake. So, yeah, again, that further proves that this one, you know, continuity wise happens a few months later, I guess. Yeah. Also, not the tiny Robin I'm used to hearing you talk about. No. <laughs> God bless us, everyone. <laughs> the worst Muppet. Mm. What? The worst. 
disconnect him. I no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> uh, but sorry, just Robin brings everything down. <laughs> He's such a downer. Night. <laughs> My fiance says he's just earnest. He's just earnest. Did you ever see the Frog Prince? No. With oh, that's so good. He's the Frog Prince in that. It's great, Sir Robin the Brave. He's my least favorite part of Muppet Family Christmas. But he goes down. He finds the Fraggle Hole. <laughs> All of his numbers just bring down the whole thing. Okay. <laughs> just bring the whole special to a screaming stop. The Swedish chef tries to kill Big Bird. Yeah, but it's funny. It is funny. And Big Bird, you know, like, you know, actually manages to like, you know, like get through to him. And that's that's very sweet. That's that. It is is, very sweet. Robin is just all this stuff is overdone. No, state Muppet Family Christmas is a perfect special and, and not even. Your opinions of Robin can bring me down from that. I mean, I love Muppet Family Christmas. I just don't love Robin. Okay. All right. I can't think of what my worst Muppet is, but not time for that now. That IT guy. The I, yeah. Chip. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. That's my fault. <laughs> all right. But we all know that the objectively the best Muppet is Sweetums. Yes. Last time I went to Muppet Vision 3D, he waved at me. No. I was so- oh. <laughs> like, hey, I'm going to go to Hollywood, Florida, guys. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sweetums. <laughs> Sweetums is great. Sweetums is the best. Uh, so, yeah, Tim Drake. <laughs> Voiced by Matthew Valencia, who is best known for Tim Drake. Hysterical. He was 13 when this episode first aired, and his most recent credit is from 2002. So whatever you're doing now, Matthew Valencia, we salute you. (laughs) I assume he is retired and hopefully living a decent, uh, balanced life. I hope so. Yes. Uh, Commissioner Gordon is voiced by the late Bob Hastings. Joker broadcast that message at noon. Since then, only one victim has turned up. Who continued to voice Gordon for another decade. But in the 1960s, he was the voice of the younger Clark Kent when he was still Superboy. What? Yeah. Wow. Oh, and the Superboy cartoon. Yes. From Filmation. Huh. In the 60s? Yes. Okay. This is the voice of uh, Jim Gordon. I always hear in my head. Oh, yeah. Bob Hastings. Oh, yeah. So Joker's first and so far only victim is a goth corp scientist who was working on a sonic bomb intense enough to kill anyone within earshot, unless, of course, they happen to be wearing a specific set of special earmuffs. There's a lot of noise-canceling headwear on the market, but these are the only ones that work against this sonic bomb. And guess what? I got them. (laughs) (laughs) You're wearing them right now. Yes. Yes. My my glowing blue uh, earphones here. Sonic bomb. Is that what Guile's doing this whole time? He noises you to death? Sonic boom. Yes. Uh, that's canon. Uh, Joker has to have this bomb now, right? And the world's greatest detective has already figured out where he's planning to set it off, thanks to the Joker mentioning counting down his victims. And the place to be to count down to the new year is Gotham Square. 
and they all stare at the clock on the wall, and it's already after 11. Joker made the threat at noon, and they didn't call Batman until 11 hours later with less than an hour to go? Yeah, they figured, you know, we got time. He's getting his, uh, his you know, cheese and crackers tray ready for midnight for <laughs> New Year's party. There it is. Okay, Jim. So Gotham Square, instead of a ball drop, has a giant bell that rises upward to the top of a clock tower to ring in the new year. That's actually kind of cool. Yeah, it's neat. It kind of looks like something yeah. else I've seen before somewhere else. Oh, a bell. Yeah, we're gonna, we're going to get yeah. to that <laughs> in quite a bit. Oh, my goodness. I mean, the after part, the after version. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but first, uh, since the Joker knows Batman has a habit of showing up at the last minute, he came prepared with something else to throw him off his game. A bunch of masks that look like his face, which he's distributed to the entire crowd. So my fiance was asking, like rhetorically, why all these people would wear like Joker masks. Yeah. And because I now can no longer tell uh, what a rhetorical question is anymore, I just said, because they're stupid. <laughs> well, they're all clearly very, very drunk. Doesn't this happen in the the Todd Phillips Joker movie, too, at the end? Aren't everyone wearing like Joker masks or something? Well, if it's a Todd Phillips movie, everyone is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah, no, the whole ending, aren't they all like Jokered out? If I remember correctly, I never I never finished it, but I mean that I've seen most of Todd Phillips's other movies, so I stand by my assessment. Yeah. Yeah. No, (laughs) I bet. Oh, you know what? Uh, Tying back in earlier. Let's take this tangent. Will Gaga be the first version of Harley Quinn who doesn't try and do an Arlene Sorkin impression? More or less, because everyone else has kind of done the like. It's the New York-y girl voice. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I feel like she's going to do her own thing. Yeah. Uh, I kind of hope she does, because I'd like, uh, I'm interested in seeing her and seeing her take on it to the point where I might actually watch the, the first Joker movie. <laughs> that will be interesting. But yeah, a large crowd of people wearing masks. Unfortunately, we'll never see that again. <laughs> oh, but these are Halloween-style plastic masks with the little breathing hole cut out of the Joker's big grin, which, yeah, they look neat, but how are this many people okay with wearing a mask that looks like a guy just threatened on TV to kill a bunch of people? <laughs> no one else in Gotham was watching the football game, I guess. Again, they're all dumb and drunk. Like, the one guy there is, like, yeah. very visibly drunk and, like, dry-heaving against a truck. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Maybe Joker just interrupted the wrong bowl game. He uh, he broke into the uh, the Staples Bowl. The Staples Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Liberty Tax Service Bowl. <laughs> it looks here like Joker is on stage with the giant bell and hooking it up to the bomb in plain sight, and Batman's just well can't find him in this crowd until he looks in the direction of the stage. You know, where the bell is, where everyone's going to be looking in a few minutes. How did it take him this long not to see Joker? Oh, just over there a bit. This isn't one of the best plots for the Joker ever. No, no. It's not one of the best plots for any of them. No, 
But to make up for that brain fart, Batman simply throws a batarang at Joker's head, which made me laugh. <laughs> he should just be doing that at all times to every bad guy. It reminds me of the time, uh, Mike, when our old boss uh, threw a pin at uh, another co-worker's head. Oh, I don't remember this. Oh, you might not have been there that night. I might have been gone. Uh, no, this the, you you were still you were still there at the time. Oh, OK. Also note that uh, the Joker's henchmen in this episode are the Three Stooges. Yes, I did notice that. Thank you. I didn't I didn't write a note down, but thank you. Wait, I didn't I didn't even notice that they were the Three Stooges. They're doing they're a Mo Larry Curly haircut thing. Uh, Hair, yeah. yeah, that went over poof, over my head. Yeah. But Batman and Robin swoop in, but they quickly get surrounded by Joker stooges who uh, keep him occupied long enough to distract Batman while the Joker sneaks up behind him and hits him on the back of the head with a bucket of champagne. And now the countdown starts and the crowd just starts counting down as the bell begins to rise. Batman punches a bottle of champagne. Joker tries to open and the cork hits Joker right in the eye. Ouch. And I thought maybe that would set his eye to normal looking again, but nope. <laughs> that would have been a good joke, though. Uh, a good sight gag if they had done that. Yeah, it would be. But yes, the crowd gleefully counting down to their own deaths. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so Joker's hit in the eye, drops the bottle, which Batman grabs and pours onto the sonic detonator box to cause it to short out. <laughs> so Joker, oh, that's God. it. Joker's out of ideas and out of time just shoots Batman. Yeah, that's also I feel like no one was getting like successfully hit with bullets before like this. No. Yeah, cuz yeah, cuz when I saw that I realized that I had actually watched this episode when it aired because I remembered Batman actually getting shot. Yeah. Right. For the goofy Christmas episode of the series. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. A bullet actually hits him. Yeah. That's like everybody is go to argument. It's just like, why don't you just shoot the guy? Well, this happens here. But, you know, Batman's finally grazed his arm, getting shot in the cartoon show for children. The important thing is the bell device thing that uh, makes the bell ascend the tower explodes right before midnight, sending the bell falling right on top of the Joker. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um. Right on his arm, but he's okay for some reason. And hey, look, Philly guys, the bell's cracked now. <laughs> Why? Why is it the Liberty Bell? I mean, maybe Kyle Schwarber hit a dinger? Gotham City's in South Jersey. It's right over the river. <laughs> they need their own Liberty Bell. Hey, guys, it's Jim Tomei. <laughs> Wait, was he there at that point? Uh, No. No, that joke didn't work. Hey, guys, it's Rico Brogna. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the official holiday podcast of the three people who remember Rico Brogna, and they're all here. (laughs) But there are crowd shots during this. They're watching this whole thing like it's a stage show. Do nothing. They're not even horrified (laughs) that a bell just fell on the Joker or I don't know. Robin escapes here. But what if they actually thought it was just a show? What if that's, you know, <laughs> like a stunt show in yeah. a theme park? <laughs> it's like, oh, this is the entertainment. 
Uh, here's when Robin escapes. She just steps on the goon's foot and just pushes him into the crowd that isn't paying attention. Like, imagine doing a stage dive, but no one was ready. Yeah, the crowd's just like, oh, sh- wow. <laughs> Uh, and then it starts snowing, and we fade into our last segment a bit after midnight at 1.55 in the morning. This one the comic calls Should Old Acquaintance Be Forgot, and that's what drunk guys are singing at some random tavern that Commissioner Gordon heads into called Tavern. Should old acquaintance be forgot and days of old anxiety. Sorry, fellas, closing time. To sing. So start practicing for St. Patty's Day. Hey, uh, hey. The name's in the window, like the Seinfeld restaurant. That's supposed to be some of the animators, apparently. The singing guys. Oh, and the, the barkeep. Oh, the barkeep is supposed to be Paul Dini. Okay. Or Jim. Or whatever the. They called him uh, Joe. Joe. Joe, Joe the bartender. Joe. Yeah, Joe the bartender kicks these singers out, singing Auld Lang Syne as the commissioner enters. Joe pours the commission a cup of coffee, tells him he heard his buddy had a rough night and might not make it. But as the commissioner explains, they apparently have a New Year's tradition of meeting there at 2 a.m. every January 1st. And right on cue from in the kitchen door of the tavern walks Batman. I mean, it's Batman. Yeah, he's back there frying up some mozzarella sticks. I don't know. You haven't lived until you've had Batman's mozzarella sticks. <laughs> sentence no one has ever said before. <laughs> Batman's arm is bandaged up now, and the commissioner asks how it is, and he replies, better than the Joker's. Yeah, I'd also take a grazing over a bell dropping on it. <laughs> and then we close with, I think, the most memorable scene of this episode, and one I've gotten used to seeing posted online every New Year since. Close one this time. Mm. They're all close ones. Well, here's to survival. Hopefully we'll be doing this again next New Year's Eve. Hopefully. And this last time was a tough one to rewatch now that Kevin Conroy is gone. It's also a tough one to rewatch now that um, we're all toasting to survival every year because the world (laughs) is terrible now. That's also true. Maybe. I mean, there's no guarantee that we'll be here next time. No, but... Here is to survival, and we'll hope we'll be doing it. But again, Bob Hastings died in 2014, so maybe the tradition is back on. One could hope. That's a nice thought to end on as the commissioner turns to the bartender and orders a cheesesteak. Yeah, my wife Erin was like, wait a minute, Liberty Bell cheesesteak. What is going on here? Why are we in? Are we are we sure we're not in Philadelphia? Gotham City is no longer in New Jersey. Gotham City is just actual Philadelphia. (laughs) Yes. No, actually, apparently um, Shazam lives in Philadelphia. Oh, that's right. Shazam is in Philly. Yeah. That's true. Although right now, Philadelphia sure seems like Gotham City. Oh, no. It could be. I mean, by the time this episode uh, uh, goes goes live, it could be worse. I, I don't know. Well, it's it's the beginning of July, which is always crazy in Philly. I just want to know why Helen Mirren wanted to destroy Citizens Bank Park in this Shazam movie. Hey, yeah. What's up with that Helen Mirren? Just felt like destroying something beautiful. <laughs> Actually, if you ask her, she doesn't know because she said that she do- she doesn't understand the plot of the movie at all. Many people don't. She only did it because she liked the first one. There you go. 
Sorry, kids. Gotham was never New York. You dorks can have Metropolis. <laughs> Orders a cheesesteak to go, turns around to ask Batman if he wants anything, and he's gone. Anything for you? One of these years, I'm going to beat him to the check. Empty coffee mug and what appears to be exact change to cover his drink on the table. And hopefully a tip, but come on, Bruce, you can tip better than that. <laughs> he was kind of bankrupted by those two uh, dames recently. <laughs> yeah, he had a bad holiday. That's, that's all he had left. Trying to get rid of that change that's been jiggling around in his pocket this whole time while he's had to fight off giant stooges with clown makeup. It's one of the pouches on the on the the utility belt. Yeah, it's the bat change. That's purse. a change pouch. Yes, <laughs> and that's truly the impressive thing about Batman. He can put six coins of various sizes down on a wooden table and not make a sound. <laughs> I mean, he was trained to be. Yeah, a true. He fought killed. I can. <laughs> Commissioner's mildly annoyed, swearing one of these years he's going to beat Batman to the check, but this is not that year. As we see our hero swing off into the night, and that is it. I mean, later that year, he he swears that uh, he'll beat Batman to death. <laughs> yep. <laughs> or bring him to justice. One of the two. But that's another story. Yep. Not for this podcast. That was a really dark season. Yeah. It has the goofiest episodes and the darkest episodes. Yeah. Just like a lot of big swings, a lot of tonal, just like whiplash. It has the creeper. Oh, the creeper. Yes, it does have the creeper. Oh, and it has uh, um, Etrigan. Yes, it has Etrigan the demon as the creeper. It has the Legend of the Dark Knight episode. Yep. Which, yeah, it has the one where Roxy Rocket comes to town. <laughs> oh, Lord. But any final thoughts on Holiday Nights? It was fine. Yeah, no, I love this. It might be. My most memorable episode of the new Batman Adventures, just because of how different it is from everything else before it. But that said, I feel like every piece of it would have been a better story if it was given a bit more breathing room. I mean, my most memorable episode of uh, season three is Over the Edge. Well, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, no, that's a that's a very good pick. It's a toss up between that and Legends. Legends is good for me. Yeah, I was just I was wondering what what I was watching <laughs> again. Not for this. <laughs> not for this podcast, unfortunately. But thank you both for helping me ring in another Christmas in July with a giant bell. Yes, it was. I, I don't know. I it, I thought it was I thought it was a fine episode. I didn't think it was one of the best ones uh, for a Christmas special. It did what it was supposed to do. Um, I would call it perfectly cromulent <laughs> yes i mean i'm you know a huge fan of the series and it's just you know oh good there's another christmas episode we can talk about on the podcast let's have the opportunity to talk about batman the animated series some more i will grab that opportunity we still have that there is another animated series episode that's technically set at christmas so i might pull that one out as well it's called a bullet for bullock Oh, oh yeah! yeah I remember a bullet. I remember that. I remember watching that when that first aired because it was it was a direct adaptation of a of a of a then recent issue of Detective Comics. That's which I why I read. thought it was familiar when I watched it. Yes, I missed that as a kid. I think I didn't watch that until college. It's like, wait a minute! But 
Yeah, I watched it when it first aired because and I was like, oh, wait, because I had already read the issue. I was like, oh, snap, this is going to be good. <laughs> um, it was a fun. It, no, that, I mean, it was a um, and it was a pretty faithful uh, adaptation. So, it'd be, uh, you know, uh, if you guys want to talk about that uh, down the road, I'd be I'd totally be down to come back. And uh, did they ever do a Christmas episode of Brave and the Bold? I have no I idea. don't know. I didn't see. I didn't really um, watch that one. Me neither. But oh, Brave and the Bold is so much fun. I'll have to. I'll have to investigate then. It's Diedrich Bader as Batman. It's oh, that's uh, right. Yeah, it's um, you know, it's the 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 Dick Sprang influenced art style. It's it's um, all the uh, deep cut guest appearances. Amazing Man shows up. Amazing Man. Wow. Oh, so, um, yeah, I mean, anyone who grew up on 80s DC comics, um, that's that's the show for them. But um, I'm, I'm really veering off topic. No, that's um, fine. But uh, plenty of chances to still have bats on the brain in later seasons of this show. But for now, yes, if people feel the urge to run screaming at the sight of you at a holiday gala, where can they find you on the Internet? Andre. Well, usually they're screaming, they're running away, screaming at the side. No. Of me. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, you've you've seen me at holiday parties. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that was the old days. You can find me on most platforms uh, at Andre Bennett Go. That's A N D R E B E N N E T T G O, like Teen Titans. Um. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I just, I, I do a thing. Um, uh, I also kind of admin a, uh, a, a group on Facebook that talks about cult movies. Um, uh, you can find us. We're a cult cinema cloister. Uh, I am a mild mannered journalist for a major metropolitan, uh, broadcast news station. Um, yes i grew up to become clark kent <laughs> oh yeah also i um i have revived the uh the philadelphia championship rock paper scissors league Ooh. here in philly hopefully by july we'll we'll still be doing stuff here's hoping so check us out at uh, facebook.com slash pcrps and joey Let's see, when I'm not at the Wacko Toy Company, you can find me <laughs> at uh, YNET Radio, ynetradio.net, celebrating our 13th anniversary this month, I believe. Wow. Yeah. And uh, assuming Twitter still exists in July, you can find me at I'm Gonna DJ 24 on there. Uh, why not's great. I used to, uh, I used to uh, DJ for Why Not myself. Yes, sure. you did. Yes. And those links, along with wherever I happen to be hanging out these days, are in the show notes, which are hopefully in your podcast playing machine, but always up on my website, adventcalendar.house. Thanks again for joining us. So for our next news special, that'll be in a couple of days' time. Until then, for Andre and Joey, from the middle of a long line of unsupervised children waiting to meet Gotham's scariest Santa Claus... That disintegrate. <laughs> yeah. This is Mike Westfall with your friendly reminder to please watch out for that icy patch. Good night. Next time on the Advent Calendar House. Oh, Brother Bear, will you be mine? 
from Honey Bear, your super secret Valentine.